Chapter Eight of Life of Chopin by Franz Liszt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life of Chopin by Franz Liszt, translated by Martha Walker Cook. Chapter Eight: Disappointment. Ill health visit to england devotion of friends last sacraments delphina potoshka louise monsieur gutman death from the date of one thousand eight hundred and forty the health of chopin affected by so many changes visibly declined during some years his most tranquil hours were spent at nohan where he seemed to suffer less than elsewhere he composed there with pleasure bringing with them every year to paris several new compositions but every winter caused him an increase of suffering motion became at first difficult and soon almost impossible to him from one thousand eight hundred and forty six to one thousand eight hundred and forty seven he scarcely walked at all he could not ascend the staircase without the most painful sensation of suffocation and his life was only prolonged through continual care and the greatest precaution towards the spring of one thousand eight hundred and forty seven as his health grew more precarious from day to day he was attacked by an illness from which it was thought he could never recover he was saved for the last time but this epoch was marked by an event so agonizing to his heart that he immediately called it mortal indeed he did not long survive the rupture of his friendship with madame sand which took place at this date madame de stal who in spite of her generous and impassioned heart her subtle and vivid intellect fell sometimes into the fault of making her sentences heavy through a species of pedantry which robbed them of the grace of abandon remarked on one of those occasions when the strength of her feelings made her forget the solemnity of her genuine stiffness in affection there are only beginnings this exclamation was based upon the bitter experience of the insufficiency of the human heart to accomplish the beautiful and blissful dreams of the imagination ha if some blessed examples of human devotion did not sometimes occur to contradict the melancholy words of madame de stal which so many illustrious as well as obscure facts seem to prove our suspicions might lead us to be guilty of much ingratitude and want of trust we might be led to doubt the sincerity of the hearts which surround us and see but allegorical symbols of human affections in the antique train of beautiful canafore who carried the fragile and perfumed flowers to adorn some hapless victim for the altar coppin spoke frequently and almost by preference of madame sand without bitterness or recrimination tears always filled his eyes when he named her but with a kind of bitter sweetness he gave himself up to the memories of past days alas now he stripped off their manifold significance in spite of the many subterfuges employed by his friends 
to entice him from dwelling upon remembrances which always brought dangerous excitement with them he loved to return to them as if through the same feelings which had once reanimated his life he now wished to destroy it sedulously stifling its powers through the vapour of this subtle poison his last pleasure seemed to be the memory of the blasting of his last hope he treasured the bitter knowledge that under this fatal spell his life was ebbing fast away all attempts to fix his attention upon other subjects were made in vain he refused to be comforted and would constantly speak of one of the engrossing subject even if he had ceased to speak of it would he not always have thought of it he seemed to inhale the poison rapidly and eagerly that he might thus shorten the time in which he would be forced to breathe it although the exceeding fragility of his physical constitution might not have allowed him under any circumstances to have lingered upon earth yet at least he might have been spared the bitter sufferings which clouded his last hours where the tender and ardent soul though exacting through its fastidiousness and excessive delicacy he could not live unless surrounded by the radiant phantoms he had himself evoked he could not expel the profound sorrow which his heart cherished as the sole remaining fragment of the happy past he was another great and illustrious victim to the transitory attachments occurring between persons of different character who experiencing a surprise full of delight in their first sudden meeting mistake it for a durable feeling and build hopes and illusions upon it which can never be realized it is always the nature the most deeply moved the most absolute in its hopes and attachments for which all transplantation is impossible which is destroyed unmined in the painful awakening from the absorbing dream terrible power exercised over man by the most exquisite gifts which he possesses like the coursers of the sun when the hand of phaeton in place of guiding their beneficent carrier permits them to wander at random disordering the beautiful structure of the celestial spheres they bring devastation and flames in their train coppin felt and often repeated that the sundering of this long friendship the rupture of this strong tie broke all the cords which bound him to life during this attack his life was despaired of for several days monsieur goodman his most distinguished pupil and during the last years of his life his most intimate friend lavished upon him every proof of tender attachment his cares his attentions were the most agreeable to him with the timidity natural to invalids and with the tender delicacy peculiar to himself he once asked the princess satoriska who visited him every day often fearing that on the morrow he would no longer be among the living if goodman was not very much fatigued if she thought he would be able to continue his care of him adding that his presence was dearer to him than that of any other person his convalescence was very slow and painful leaving him indeed but the semblance of life at this epoch he changed so much in appearance that he could scarcely be recognized the next summer brought him the deceptive decrease of suffering 
which it sometimes grant to those who are dying he refused to quit paris and thus deprived himself of the pure air of the country the benefit of this vivifying element the winter of one thousand eight hundred and forty seven to one thousand eight hundred and forty eight was filled with a painful and continual succession of improvements and relapses notwithstanding this he resolved in the spring to accomplish his old project of visiting london when the revolution of february broke out he was still confined to bed but with a melancholy effort he seemed to try to interest himself in the events of the day and spoke of them more than usual monsieur goodman continued his most intimate and constant visitor he accepted through preference his cares until the close of his life feeling better in the month of april he thought of realizing his contemplated journey of visiting that country to which he had intended to go when youth and life opened in bright prospect to before him he set out for england where his works had already found an intelligent public and were generally known and admired footnote the compositions of Chopin were even at that time known and very much liked in england the most distinguished virtuosi frequently executed them in a pamphlet published in london by messrs wessel and stapleton under the title of an essay of the works of frederick Chopin, we find some lines marked by just criticism the epigraph of this little pamphlet is ingeniously chosen and the two lines from shelley could scarcely be better applied than to Chopin. he was a mighty poet and a subtle-souled psychologist the author of this pamphlet speaks with enthusiasm of the originative genius untrammelled by conventionalities infettered by pedantry of the outpourings of an unworldly and trustful soul those musical floods of tears and gushes of pure joyfulness those exquisite embodiments of fugitive thoughts those infinitesimal delicacies which give so much value to the lightest sketch of Chopin. the english author again says one thing is certain namely to play with proper feeling and correct execution the preludes and studies of Chopin is to be neither more nor less than a finished pianist and moreover to comprehend them thoroughly to give a life and tongue to their infinite and most eloquent subtleties of expression involves the necessity of being in no less a degree a poet than a pianist a thinker than a musician commonplace is instinctively avoided in all the works of Chopin, a stale cadence or a trite progression a humdrum subject or a hackneyed sequence a vulgar twist of the melody or a worn-out passage a meagre harmony or an unskilful counterpoint may in vain be looked for throughout the entire range of his compositions the prevailing characteristics of which are a feeling as uncommon as beautiful a treatment as original as felicious a melody and a harmony as new fresh vigorous and striking as they are utterly unexpected and out of common track in taking up one of the works of Chopin, you are entering as it were a fairy land untrodden by human footsteps a path hitherto unfrequented but by the great composer himself 
and a faith a devotion a desire to appreciate and a determination to understand are absolutely necessary to do it anything like adequate justice Copin in his polonaises and his mazurkas has aimed at those characteristics which distinguish the national music of his country so markedly from that of all others that quaint idiosyncrasy that identical wildness and fantasticality the delicious mingling of the sad and cheerful which invariably and forcibly individualize the music of those northern nations whose language delights in the combinations of consonants end of footnote he left france in that mood of mind which the english call low spirits the transitory interest which he had endeavoured to take in political changes soon disappeared he became more a taciturn than ever if through absence of mind a few words would escape him they were only exclamations of regret his affection for the limited number of persons whom he continued to see was filled with the heart-rending emotion which precedes eternal farewells art alone always retained its absolute power over him music absorbed him during the time now constantly shortening in which he was able to occupy himself with it as completely as during the days when he was full of life and hope before he left paris he gave a concert in the salon of monsieur pleyel one of the friends with whom his relations had been the most constant the most frequent and the most affectionate who is now rendering a worthy homage to his memory occupying himself with zeal and activity in the execution of a monument for his tomb at this concert his chosen and faithful audience heard him for the last time he was received in london with an eagerness which had some effect in aiding him to shake off his sadness to dissipate his mournful depression perhaps he dreamed by burying all his former habits in oblivion he could succeed in dissipating his melancholy he neglected the prescriptions of his physicians with all the precautions which reminded him of his wretched health he played twice in the public and many times in private concerts he mingled much in society sat up late at night and exposed himself to inconsiderable fatigue without permitting himself to be deterred by any consideration for his health he was presented to the queen by the duchess of sutherland and the most distinguished society sought the pleasure of his acquaintance he went to edinburgh where the climate was particularly injurious to him he was much debilitated upon his return from scotland his physicians wished him to leave england immediately but he delayed for some time his departure who can read the feelings which caused this delay he played again at a concert given for the poles it was the last mark of love sent to his beloved country the last look the last sigh the last regret he was fêted applauded and surrounded by his own people he bade them all adieu they did not know it was an eternal farewell what thoughts must have filled his sad soul as he crossed the sea to return to paris that paris so different now for him from that which he had found without seeking in one thousand eight hundred and thirty one he was met upon his arrival by a surprise as painful as unexpected dr molin 
whose advice and intelligent prescriptions had saved his life in the winter of one thousand eight hundred and forty seven to whom alone he believed himself indebted for the prolongation of his life was dead he felt his loss painfully nay it brought a profound discouragement with it at a time when the mind exercises so much influence over the progress of the disease he persuaded himself that no one could replace the trusted physician and he had no confidence in any other dissatisfied with them all without any hope from their skill he changed them constantly a kind of superstitious depression seized him no tie stronger than life no more powerful as death came now to struggle against this bitter apathy from the winter of one thousand eight hundred and forty eight coppin had been in no condition to labour continuously from time to time he retouched some scattered leaves without succeeding in arranging his thoughts in accordance with his designs a respectful care of his fame dictated to him the wish that these sketches should be destroyed to prevent the possibility of being mutilated disfigured and transformed into posthumous works unworthy of his hand he left no finished manuscripts except a short waltz and a last nocturne as parting memories in the later period of his life he thought of writing a method for the piano in which he intended to give his ideas upon the theory and the technicality of his art the results of his long and patient studies his happy innovations and his intelligent experience the task was a difficult one demanding readable application even from one who has laboured as assiduously as coppin perhaps he wished to avoid the emotions of art affecting those who reproduce them in serenity of soul so differently from those who repeat in them their own desolation of heart by taking refuge in a region so barren he sought in this employment only an absorbing and uniform occupation he only asked from it what manfred demanded in vain from the powers of magic forgetfulness forgetfulness granted neither by gaiety of amusement nor the lethargy of torpor on the contrary with the venomous guile they always compensate in the renewed intensity of woe for the time they may have succeeded in benumbing it in the daily labour which charms the storms of the soul their seals droom westward he sought without doubt forgetfulness which occupation by rendering the memory torpid may sometimes procure though it cannot destroy the sense of pain at the close of that fine elegy which he names the ideal a poet who was also the victim of an inconsolable melancholy appeals to the labour as a consolation when a prey to bitter regret while expecting an early death he invokes occupation as the last resource against the incessant anguish of life and thou so pleated with their uniting to charm the soul's storm into peace sweet toil in toil itself delighting that more it laboured less could cease though cut by grains thou aidest the pile the vast eternity uprears at least thou strikest from time the while life stepped the minutes days and years bulwer's translation of skiller's ideal Beschaftigung, die nie ermattet, die langsam schafft, 
Dogni's estrot, Tizu dem bowder ivy chitin, Zwarzan kon nur, Fjordzan kon reicht, Dog wander grossen shoulder zeiten, Minut, tag, jahr, streist. The ideal, Schiller. The strength of Chopin was not sufficient for the execution of his intention. The occupation was too abstract, too fatiguing. He contemplated the form of his project. He spoke of it at different times, but its execution had become impossible. He wrote but a few pages on it, which were destroyed with the rest. At last, the disease augmented so visibly that the fears of his friends assumed the hue of despair. He scarcely left his bed and spoke but rarely his sister upon receiving this intelligence came from warsaw to take her place at his pillow which she left no more he witnessed the anguish the presentiments the redoubled sadness around him without showing what impression they made upon him he thought of death with christian calm and resignation yet he did not cease to prepare for the morrow the fancy he had for changing his residence was once more manifested he took another lodging disposed the furnishing of it anew and occupied himself in its most minute details as he had taken no measures to recall the orders he had given for its arrangement they were transporting his furniture to the apartments he was destined never to inhabit upon the very day of his death did he fear that death would not fulfil his plighted promise did he dread that after having touched him with his icy hand he could still suffer him to linger upon earth did he feel that life would be almost unendurable with its fondest ties broken its closest links dissevered there is a double influence often felt by gifted temperaments when upon the eve of some moment which is to decide their fate the eager heart urged on by a desire to unravel the mystic secrets of the unknown future contradicts the colder the more timid intellect which fears to plunge into uncertain abyss of the coming fate this want of harmony between the simultaneous provisions of the mind and heart often causes the firmest spirits to make assertions which their actions seem to contradict yet actions and assertions both flow from the differing sources of an equal conviction did Coppin suffer from this inevitable dissimilarity between the prophetic whispers of the heart and the thronging doubts of the questioning mind? From week to week, and soon from day to day, the cold shadow of death gained upon him. His end was rapidly approaching. His sufferings became more and more intense. His cries grew more frequent, and at each accelerated occurrence, resembled more and more a mortal agony he retained his presence of mind his vivid will upon their intermission until the last neither losing the precision of his ideas nor the clear perception of his intentions the wishes which he expressed in short moments of respite evinced the calm solemnity with which he contemplated the approach of death he desired to be buried by the side of bellini with whom during the time of bellini's residence in paris he had been intimately acquainted the grave of bellini is in the cemetery of pere lachaise next to that of cherubini the desire of forming an acquaintance with this great master whom he had been brought up to admire 
was one of the motives which when he left vienna in one thousand eight hundred and thirty one to go to london induced him without foreseeing that his destiny would fix him there to pass through paris Chopin now sleeps between bellini and cherubini men of very dissimilar genius and yet to both of whom he was in equal degree allied as he attached as much value to the respect he felt for the science of the one as to the sympathy he acknowledged for the creations of the other like the author of norma he was full of melodic feeling yet he was ambitious of attaining this harmonic depth of the learned old master desiring to unite in a great and elevated style the dreamy vagueness of spontaneous emotion which the erudition of the most consummate masters continuing the reserve of his manners to the very last he did not request to see any one for the last time but he evinced the most touching gratitude to all those who approached him the first days of october left neither doubt nor hope the fatal moment drew near the next day the next hour could no longer be relied upon monsieur goodman and his sister were in constant attendance upon him never for a single moment leaving him the countess delphine potoshka who was then absent from paris returned as soon as she was informed of his imminent danger none of those who approached the dying artist could tear themselves from the spectacle of this great and gifted soul in its hours of mortal anguish however violent and frivolous the passions may be which agitate our hearts whatever strength or indifference may be displayed in meeting unforeseen or certain accidents which would seem necessarily overwhelming in their effects it is impossible to escape the impression made by the imposing majesty of a lingering and beautiful death which touches softens fascinates and elevates even the souls the least prepared for such a holy and sublime emotions the lingering and gradual departure of one among us for those unknown shores the mysterious solemnity of his secret dreams his commemoration of past facts and passing ideas when still breathing upon the narrow strait which separates time from eternity affect us more deeply than anything else in this world sudden catastrophes the dreadful alternations forced upon the shuddering fragile ship tossed like a toy by the wild breath of the tempest the blood of the battlefield with the gloomy smoke of artillery the horrible charnel-house into which our habitation is converted by a contagious plague conflagrations which wrap whole cities in their glittering flames fathomless abysses which open at our feet remove us less sensibly from all the fleeting attachments which pass which can be broken which cease then the prolonged view of a soul conscious of its own position silently contemplating the multiform aspects of time and the mute door of eternity the courage the resignation the elevation the emotion which reconcile it with that inevitable dissolution so repugnant to all our instincts certainly impress the bystander more profoundly than the most frightful catastrophes which in the confusion they create rob the scene of its still anguish its solemn meditation the parlour adjoining the chamber of Chopin was constantly occupied by some of his friends who one by one in turn 
approached him to receive a sign of recognition a look of affection when he was no longer able to address them in words on sunday the fifteenth of october his attacks were more violent and more frequent lasting for several hours in succession he endured them with patience and great strength of mind the countess delphine putoshka who was present was much distressed her tears were flowing fast when he observed her standing at the foot of his bed tall slight draped in white resembling the beautiful angels created by the imagination of the most devout among the painters without doubt he supposed her to be a celestial apparition and when the crisis left him a moment in repose he requested her to sing they deemed him at first seized with delirium but he eagerly repeated his request who could have ventured to oppose his wish the piano was rolled from his parlour to the door of his chamber while with the sobs in her voice and tears streaming down her cheeks his gifted countrywoman sang certainly this delightful voice had never before attained an expression so full of profound pathos he seemed to suffer less as he listened she sang the famous canticle to the virgin which it is said once saved the life of stradella how beautiful it is he exclaimed my god how very beautiful again again though overwhelmed with emotion the countess had the noble courage to comply with the last wish of her friend a compatriot she again took a seat at the piano and sung a hymn from marcello cop and again feeling worse everybody was seized with fright by a spontaneous impulse all who were present threw themselves upon their knees no one ventured to speak the sacred silence was only broken by the voice of the countess floating like a melody from heaven above the sighs and sobs which formed its heavy and mournful earth accompaniment it was the haunted hour of twilight a dying light lent its mysterious shadows to this sad scene the sister of coppin prostrated near his bed wept and prayed and never quitted this attitude of supplication while the life of the brother she had so cherished lasted his condition altered for the worse during the night but he felt more tranquil upon monday morning and as if he had known in advance the appointed and propitious moment he asked to receive immediately the last sacraments in the absence of the abbe mm, with whom he had been very intimate since the common expatriation he requested that the abbe elowishki one of the most distinguished men of the polish emigration should be sent for when the holy viaticum was administered to him he received it surrounded by those who loved him with great devotion he called his friends a short time afterwards one by one to his bedside to give each of them his earnest blessing calling down the grace of god fervently upon themselves their affections and their hopes every knee bent every head bowed all eyes were heavy with tears every heart was sad and oppressed every soul elevated attacks more and more painful returned and continued during the day from monday night till tuesday he did not utter a single word he did not seem to able to distinguish the persons who were around him about eleven o'clock on tuesday evening he appeared to revive a little the abbe lovishki had never left him hardly had he recovered the power of speech than he requested him to recite with him the prayers 
and detainees for the dying he was able to accompany the abbe in an audible and intelligible voice from this moment until his death he held his head constantly supported upon the shoulder of monsieur gutman who during the whole course of this sickness had devoted his days and nights to him a convulsive sleep lasted until the seventeenth of october one thousand eight hundred and forty nine the final agony commenced about two o'clock a cold sweat ran profusely from his brow after a short drowsiness he asked in a voice scarcely audible who is near me being answered he bent his head to kiss the hand of monsieur gutman who still supported it while giving this last tender proof of love and gratitude the soul of the artist left its fragile clay he died as he had lived in loving when the doors of the parlour were opened his friends threw themselves round the loved corpse not able to suppress the gush of tears his love for flowers being well known they were brought in such quantities the next day that the bed in which they had placed them and indeed the whole room almost disappeared hidden by the varied and brilliant hues he seemed to repose in a garden of roses his face regained its early beauty its purity of expression its long unwonted serenity calmly with his youthful loveliness so long dimmed by bitter suffering restored by death he slept among the flowers he loved the last long and dreamless sleep monsieur klesinger reproduced the delicate rites to which death had rendered their early beauty in a sketch which he immediately modelled and which he afterwards executed in marble for his tomb the respectful admiration which Chopin felt for the genius of mozart had induced him to request that his requiem should be performed at his obsequies the wish was complied with the funeral ceremonies took place in madeline church the thirtieth of october one thousand eight hundred forty nine they had been delayed until this date in order that the execution of this great work should be worthy of the master and his disciple the principal artists in paris were anxious to take part in it the funeral march of Chopin arranged for the instruments for this occasion by monsieur reber was introduced at introit at the offertory monsieur lefebvre executed his admirable preludes in c and mi minor upon the organ the solos of the requiem were claimed by madame Viardot and madame castellan lablache who had sung the tuba miram of this requiem at the burial of pithophon in one thousand eight hundred twenty seven again sung it upon this occasion monsieur meyerbeer with prince adam chaturisky led the train of mourners the pal was borne by monsieur delacroix monsieur francom monsieur gutman and prince alexander chaturisky however insufficient these pages may be to speak of Chopin as we could have desired we hope that the attraction which so justly surrounds his name will compensate for much that may be wanting in them if to these lines consecrated to the commemoration of his works and to all that he held dear which the sincere esteem enthusiastic regard and intense sorrow for his loss can only gift with persuasive and sympathetic power it were necessary to add some of the thoughts awakened in every man when death robs him of the loved contemporaries of his youth thus breaking the first ties 
linked by the confiding and deluded heart with so much the greater pain if they were strong enough to survive the bright period of a young life we could say that in the same year we have lost two dearest friends we have known on earth one of them perished in the wild course of civil war unfortunate and valiant hero he fell with his burning courage unsubdued his intrepid calmness undisturbed his chivalric temerity unabated through the endurance of the horrible tortures of a fearful death he was a prince of rare intelligence of great activity of eminent faculties through whose veins the young blood circulated with the glittering ardour of a subtle gas by his own indefatigable energy he had just succeeded in removing the difficulties which obstructed his path in creating an arena in which his faculties might have displayed themselves with as much success in debates and the management of civil affairs as they had already done in brilliant feats in arms the other Coppen, died slowly consuming himself in the flames of his own genius his life unconnected with public events was like some fact which was never been incorporated in a material body the traces of his existence are only to be found in the works which he has left he ended his days upon a foreign soil which he never considered as his country remaining faithful in devotion of his affections to the eternal widowhood of his own he was a poet of mournful soul full of reserve and complicated mystery and familiar with the stern face of sorrow the immediate interest which we felt in the movements of the parties to which the life of prince felix lichnowiski was bound was broken by his death the death of Copen has robbed us of all the consolations of an intelligent and comprehensive friendship the affectionate sympathy with our feelings with our manner of understanding art of which the exclusive artist has given us so many proofs would have softened the disappointment and weariness which yet await us and have strengthened in our earliest tendencies confirmed us in our first essays since it has befallen to our lot to survive them we wish at least to express the sincere regret we feel for their loss we deem ourselves bound to offer homage of our deep and respectful sorrow upon the grave of the remarkable musician who has just passed from among us music is at present receiving such great and general development that it reminds us of that which took place in painting in the fourteenth and fifteenth centuries even the artists who limited the productions of their genius to the margins of parchments painted their miniatures with an inspiration so happy that having broken through the byzantine stiffness they left the most exquisite types which the franciers the peruginos and the raphaels to come were to transport to their frescoes and introduce upon their canvas there have been people among whom in order to preserve the memory of their great men or signal the events of their history it was the custom to form pyramids composed of the stones which each passer-by was expected to bring to the pile which gradually increased to an unlooked-for height from the anonymous contributions of all monuments are still in our days erected by an analogous proceeding but in place of building only a rude and unformed hillock in consequence of a fortunate combination the contribution of all concurs in the creation of some work of art which is not only destined to perpetuate the mute remembrance which they wish to honour but which may have the power to awaken in future ages 
the feelings which gave birth to such creation the emotions of the contemporaries which called it into being the subscriptions which are open to raise statues and noble memorials to those who have rendered their epoch or country illustrious originate in this design immediately after the death of Coppen, monsieur camille Pleyel conceived a project of this kind he commenced a subscription which conformably to the general expectation rapidly amounted to a considerable sum to have the monument modelled by monsieur klesinger executed in marble and placed in pere lachaise in thinking over our long friendship with Coppen, on the exceptional admiration which we always felt for him ever since his appearance in the musical world remembering that artists like himself we have been the frequent interpreter of his inspirations an interpreter we may safely venture to say loved and chosen by himself that we have more frequently than others received from his own lips the spirit of his style that we were in some degree identified with his creations in art and with the feelings which he confided to it through that long and constant assimilation which obtains between a writer and his translator we have fondly thought that these connective circumstances imposed upon us a higher and nearer duty than that of merely adding an unformed and anonymous stone to the growing pyramid of homage which his contemporaries are elevating to him we believed that the claims of a tender friendship for our illustrious colleague exacted from us a more particular expression of our profound regret of our high admiration it appeared to us that we would not be true to ourselves did we not quote the honour of inscribing our name our deep affliction upon a sepulchral stone this should be granted to those who never hope to fill the void in their hearts left by an irreparable loss end of chapter eight end of life of Coppen by franz liszt translated by martha walker cook read by lambda